0: This is Andy from The Athletic here with Mark Carrigg, also of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest edition of Beyond the Scrum, the baseball podcast, one of many baseball podcasts on The Athletic. Mark, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Doing great.
0: Great. No one cares. Uh, we're here with a special <laughs> guest this week. Uh, he's the... What is your title these days, John? Are you president of Baseball Ops? Are you the GM? What, what, what is it you do for the Texas Rangers? I like GM. I, okay. I like a man of the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, it's general manager, possibly other things of the Texas Rangers, John Daniels. How are you, JD?
2: I'm good. Yes, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. After my uh, my uh, IT uh, weaknesses were exposed earlier. <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> I'm you're, glad the spam yeah.
1: filter's on it's on duty. That's great. Right. Do you get a
0: lot of random emails from like fans? Like, have they? Do they figure out how to get in contact with you?
2: Uh, occasionally, um, there's actually one guy that, um, uh, that texts that, or excuse me, that emails a bunch of us in the office and, uh, and at first it was a little bit nuts, but now like his, he throws out like draft concepts and, uh, trade concepts and a few of us are like in contact with him, Like this guy's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> There was one guy; that, he was actually hysterical uh, until I showed him to my wife, and and uh, Robin was like in tears over one of them, but and not not tears of joy. Uh, but I, I
1: thought oh, it was, no.
0: I thought <laughs> it was <so> <laughs> oh. pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, how are you sort of handling? I, I guess like as when you're running a baseball operations department in this sort of climate, like what does your day look like?
2: So, um. You know, the first couple of weeks, just like everybody, we're just trying to just figure out a routine, right? Just to, trying to reconnect with everybody, make sure everybody got home safely. Everyone's figuring out what, what life is like, uh, you know, as, as a homeschool teacher, where do you get your toilet paper, you know, all the same stuff. And it was more at that point was just kind of checking in on everybody, making sure everybody was, was kind of comfortable, safe in a good environment, players, staff, et cetera, connecting with the the league and ownership and any any kind of short term needs, of, which there weren't early on. And then we moved into a phase I think was more, um, you know, we everybody kind of got their routine going. We had our our you know weekly calls set up in different departments with the players. We were able to do some kind of virtual player development, prepare for the draft, or R and D group moving. Um, and you know, and also had my routine at home, which you know, really for the first time ever, I've been able to have dinner with the family, and and you know, which has been awesome. And now the last couple weeks has been kind of gearing up to hopefully, you know, get back going again, right? Getting ready for the draft and then hopefully a a restart here.
1: How's it been to just sort of stay on top of these developments, John? Because, like, I think fundamentally with something like this, with the pandemic in general, information changes constantly. And, you know, what might be assumed is fact one day gets questioned the next. And, And I would think that that happens with, you know, even just plans to restart and all that stuff. So uh, how have you been sorting through all of that? Um, And how difficult has it been to just get a handle when, you know, fundamentally there's just a lot of change that happens with these things?
2: Yeah, Mark, I think it's been like the single biggest challenge of the whole deal. Um, Because it does, it changes day to day and it changes, you know, based on who you listen to and who you trust for information, right? And um, I mean, I, it really stood out right at the beginning of this thing. Well, it wasn't the beginning, the beginning from the the shutdown from a baseball standpoint in in early and middle of March. And we had team meetings every day and it was, I mean, literally I felt, I felt terrible because we were delivering a different message 24 hours later, sometimes sooner than that than we had done before. And it was all based on the best and most recent information, but there was just so much unknown and, and it was coming in so fast that, um, you know, I think it, it, what we tried to do is just try to, um, you know, really go by the the experts here, right? The the medical experts, and and um, and also try to connect from a best practice standpoint. I've talked to my counterparts in the league quite a bit. Um, the last couple of weeks, the league has has been communicating a lot. Before that, you know, they were trying to figure it out too. So, been on some calls with with different. Um, uh, you know counterparts in other leagues, um, and and it's, that that part's been helpful. But you know, like you said, that the news changes every day, the information changes every day, and, and I've just you just kind of learn to be you know humble about it and understand that hey, we we don't know a lot, and you know I'd rather act on the on the side of caution at least until we we have a little bit better info.
0: Do you? Um... Do you know if you'll be classified as someone essential enough to your operation to be allowed to travel?
2: You know, I would anticipate that there will be some, uh, you know, front office or administration mm-hmm. uh, staff a- as part of it. Uh, you know, I, I think at my understanding, not just what baseball is doing, but in talking with other sports, and and you know, the European soccer has kind of got a little head start on us and starting back up, and it. You know, I know that they they've done it where there's kind of tiers of, of staff, right? There's there's staff that, you know, your your day-to-day coaching staff, your train your performance group, your training medical group that's there with the players, you know, day in day out, and then you have like kind of a concentric circles outside of that, um, you know, to where, you know, maybe maybe front office can can fit into that next one or different support groups and ultimately, you know, media and and, and different other uh, groups, so. I don't know yet whether, you know, front office will be in kind of that immediate uh, kind of the, the smallest circle in the bubble or whether it'll be one outside of that. But I, I would think that we'll have a role.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be like sort of the ultimate, you know, fantasy uh, baseball like owner. If you're like if you build the roster, but you're not allowed to interact with any of the players when they leave. <laughs> the coaches, I guess.
2: Yeah, to be like a like an '80s movie where you just kind of sit up and yell from the suite,
1: right?
0: <laughs> in, an empty, in an empty, stadium. Yeah, we live in great times. Just great, great times. Uh,
1: well, like I mean, this is you know we could talk about this longer, but it's it's so uncertain. It feels like you know, and frankly, it's not that fun because you know it's sort of a bummer, but. So like I I was reading through the Q&A that you did with The Athletic not too long ago, which was cool. Like I I thought the fans asked some pretty good questions, and one of them was, I I think you were asked about some of the transactions you'd made in your career, and you noted a couple that you thought were prominent, and one of them was Cliff Lee, and I hadn't thought about that in a while. That was 10 years ago, Um, and... As you said, it was a huge move for you guys. But what I remember from it, I was covering the Yankees at the time. I mean, the Yankees had pretty much gotten him, or at least that was the word. And it made me think, like, in your seat in that moment, like, how do you even deal (laughs) with hearing with something like that? And and it made me wonder, like, what the process was that got it to the finish line for you guys when it seemed like it was going to go a different direction.
2: In '09, we were good. You know, I think if they had had the second wild card, we would have been in the mix for it. But, like, you know, we, we hadn't really broken through yet. 10 was, like, the first time where it was, you know, it was there for us. And um, we had a good team, balanced team. We, our starting pitching needed some help, and Cliff was, like, clearly the guy out there. And um, and we were in it. And, and all along with, uh, with Seattle, uh, Justin Smoke was the guy that they needed in the deal. And we proposed a million different options and trying to hold smoke out. And, you know, Jack was consistent that, that smoke had to be in the deal. And, and it was such a lesson to me that like, you know, almost getting too cute with it. I think some of the things that we offered were probably ultimately would have hurt more, um, even than, uh, than, than putting smoke in. And, and so we, we don't put them in. And Jack told me one night, he said, Hey, if I don't get smoke, we're going to go another direction. I said, well, you know, we held, we held firm. And lo and behold, a couple hours later on the, on the, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if I were heard about it about, what internet site or Twitter at the time or whatever. And um, But the Yankees had a deal. And, and I was devastated. And we all were devastated. And and that was that was such a lesson learned right there. Of It was like, you know, are you going to be more sick if you make this trade or are you going to be more sick if you don't? And and really had it, it kind of clearly answered for me. But, <sighs> we, you know, barely sleep that night. We get up in the morning and there's these – kind of reports that uh i think it was david adams right the infielder at the time mm-hmm. had a had a, an injury that was kind of holding the deal up and we all looked at each other i called jack and uh, i said hey man i said if, if we put smoke in the deal can we get the deal done and it moved fast fast from there i mean oh. I, once we put smoke in the deal you know i mean it was a few other phone calls and there were a couple of iterations of the deal but you know you could tell we were going we were probably in the driver's seat at that point and when we got the deal done that afternoon i mean it was i mean it was unbelievable man i was like you know oh, just cheers in the office went down and told washed uh, downstairs and you could hear the the chatter through the club i mean the energy was palpable so um uh, that was that was the first time where we did like that was the first time we were in a true like kind of go for it move and um and you could just feel, like, the, the, the connection throughout the organization, you know, so that that's why it really stood out to me.
1: Man, <laughs> that sounds like a roller coaster of emotions right there in a short period. Like, I, how do you even, you know, ascertain what's truly going on out there? Because in this case, like, you saw a news report. Right? As I remember, there was all sorts of stuff coming out there. Like, it, it went from it's done to, okay, wait a minute, but like as a GM, how do you sort through that? Are you strictly strictly reliant on what you're seeing reported publicly, or, or how much are you leaning on just your contacts somewhere else to sort of sort through this in real time when, when the stakes are pretty big?
2: I think you've got to pay attention to all of it and yet use kind of the common sense, you know, because otherwise you could you know get drive yourself crazy with all that. So I, I mean, listen, we're we're definitely paying attention. I've learned. Not to personally like you know sit there and and, and follow uh, a Twitter feed or anything during kind of high stress moments because you could you drive yourself crazy but other people in the group are just you know kind of keeping us posted on, on what might be out there you know we're sitting at the trade deadline and and you know, a handful of us in the room and it's usually on mute but the you know, MLB network is up on the up on the TV and you know so I, I mean I know that I know that some people are like, well, you got to remove emotion from the decision-making process. I, Yeah. Maybe do it agree, but I don't think that happens anywhere. Right. I don't think anybody is like, some are more disciplined than others, but um, you know, I, I, I'd like to be aware like what, what the vibe is out there, what's going on. And then you're, you know, you're, you're talking to a lot of people from other organizations, uh, either directly or indirectly. And you're trying to factor that in as well.
0: I want to, uh, maybe just scroll back just a little bit, uh, if it's all right, um, to talk about another trade. I know you've, uh, you know, kind of got to have a good sense of humor about this one. So I figure you can humor us here, but it was one of the first moves you made when you took over with the Rangers. Uh, you sent Chris Young, Turmel Sledge and Adrian Gonzalez to San Diego for Adam Eaton, the pitcher and Akinori Osaka, uh, or o- Otsuka, excuse me. Uh, according to Wikipedia, this is generally considered the worst move of Daniels' career. Um, so it was good to get it, I guess, out of the way early. Um, what I'm curious about is when you're like a young guy coming onto the job, right? And you kind of make a move that turns bad relatively quickly. Did that impact your confidence and just trying to do the job? You know, like what? How did you sort of process like just learning from a mistake like that? I'm curious.
2: Yeah, um, no, I appreciate you bringing that up, Andy. That's awesome. Um,
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on this the, podcast. I, hey. oh, yeah,
2: you know, man. I've got a few really questionable articles you wrote early on. I'd like to cover as well. That would um, be great. You know, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about how Ike Davis was going to be a big star.
2: Yeah, I was just kidding. I, I, I actually, I saw. Uh, I'm 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 friendly with uh, with with Chris Youngs with MLB now. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, great and. He and I literally were talking yesterday about it too. So, I, no, I, listen. I think I think what that deal was was a variety of things, but it was mm. it was a real lack of like of a plan and a process. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate that we were given the opportunity to recover from it and not, you know, that, that um, you know the, the ownership didn't make a change after that because it was it was just really poor both in in execution but in, in plan and process. What I mean by that is that we were we just weren't good enough to be making that. Even if even if Adrian and Chris hadn't turned into the players they were, we weren't good enough, and the and the competitive landscape wasn't such that we were ready to make a, an all in move for a kind of a uh, of a short term um uh, of a short term move like that. And uh, so that that was like really a flawed uh, thought process. And then obviously those two guys go out and, and turn into what they did. And I'll, it was also like a a lesson in like, you know, having, having the right information. Cause I remember, uh, somebody kind of passed along, they talked to one of their counterparts with, with the Padres. And they said that, you know, they had, uh, Chris Young is like the, uh, you know, really high on, on their leaderboards. It like a, it was, a, it was a, basically some sort of defense independent statistic. And it was like such an eye opener. It was like, Jesus, like we got, we gotta be better than this, you know? Um, I will say this to your question on like how do you keep going after that because it was you know Aki was good, uh, Eaton was hurt and didn't perform great for us and um, and the team you know we were a 500 club but it didn't you know, it didn't make sense but um, the uh, Tom Hicks who was the owner at the time kind of brought me up to his office uh, at the end of the year and and uh, and I remember him telling me you know basically I remember him telling me basically like that. uh that um, you know, he 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 showed me a bunch of deals he'd made in his career. He's a wildly successful businessman and and you know made a fortune and and he was covering like you know he, he was known for some of these these big deals, um, Clear Channel Communications and and Dr Pepper and Snapple bottling and and some of these other ones that he'd he'd really done well in and um and he said, listen like you know I've made three hundred deals in my life and you know. 250 of them have were were not good, you know. But the other 50, and you know, kind of carried me. And his basic message was, hey, like, definitely refine your process, have a better plan, continue to you know grow from it, but don't don't lose your aggression. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to to you know uh, to make a move when when you feel it's right. And you know that that level of confidence from him, my boss at the time, was obviously uh, you know really reassuring.
0: The idea of just like a process, right, like having a sort of overarching, I don't know if it's philosophy or just sort of uh, a set of exercises that you have to go through before making decisions. Like was how not prevalent was that in 2005 in front offices? Because it seems like in 2020, it's like something that all GMs have learned that is incredibly necessary. Like how different was the job then as compared to now?
2: It was it was very different. I mean, we we had a process, but it, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't as balanced, and I don't think it was a, as well thought out. And um, uh, you know, and, and you just you had different types of information. Um, you know, it, it was just it was probably just a little less efficient at the end of the day. You know, um, uh, but you know the, the operation was, you know, well, yeah, we we did. I mean there was statistical analysis going on in the, you know, the, you know, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, it's not like, you know, money, ball the book. And it's true that, you know, they did a great job, but, you know, Earl Weaver was making decisions, you know, on a similar philosophy, you know, decades earlier. And, you know, the Cleveland Indians were built around a similar philosophy in the nineties. And, you know, the Yankees had been, and so it, uh, you know, sometimes we get kind of drawn to certain points, but but things are going on earlier. We were we were doing analysis; it was just much more um, basic. Um, and I, I think a lot of what we were spending so much time pulling the information together—that's probably the biggest change. Much time pulling the information together. You know, you might spend eighty, ninety percent of your time pulling it together, and ten percent of it or twenty percent of it took your time. You know, kind of making decisions based on that information. And now we're you know, we've got departments that are, you know, designing systems and building internal databases, et cetera, and architecture that, you know, you don't – you have it at your fingertips and you're spending much more of your time going through it and talking to your people and, you know, your scouts and, and your analysts and everybody else. And, and um, that's, that for me is the single biggest change is, is the data which is now, you know, done – kind of systematically behind the scenes whereas beforehand you were actively doing it yourself.
1: Like I mean kind of going off that John like you you've talked more than once already about sort of growth and learning from things and those early experiences and whatnot. And I'm just curious like if you know you're you're looking at 28-year-old John Daniels right now and you could you could tell him this one thing that would save him from a lot of like pain coming up, right? Because I, I feel like I, I have this conversation with myself all the time. Like, man, if I just knew this at the start of my career, it'd be a little different. Like, I don't know, what comes to mind? What would you tell that old version of yourself right now to prepare him for what was going to come?
2: I mean, I, I, this seems pretty simple, but it, it it kind of pulls a lot of different lessons together. It would just be slow down, you know, slow down. I I think I felt... Um, pressure is not the right word. You just, you want to succeed right away, right? You want to have something to, to, you want, you want to get the skins on the wall right away. And and that, you know, we spent that first year, maybe year and a half, just kind of pushing without a really good plan. And I think if we would have slowed down, we would have realized hey, we have a little bit of time here. Um, you know, what makes the most sense for us? Uh, where are we competitively? You know, let's really, you know, when we, we sat down we put a plan together, it wasn't just about, we went big in the international market. We changed the way we, we kind of organized our scouting departments and I think it really helped us. We, you know, we, we did a lot of things but we also sat back and, and really did a lot of work on our own people and like trying to get people into the right positions and and in some cases had had to make some changes. And I think, you know, if we would have just taken a little slower approach at the beginning and and focused there first, that would have probably helped the most.
1: Yeah. Like that just seems like, uh, but I guess as I've gotten older, like in my mind, it it sort of becomes more obvious that when you're younger, like the worldview just changes so much more, right? Like you're going to be different at 28 than you are now. And it, it's just kind of fascinating to me to look back at it like that. You know what I mean? Like it, to to try to think back and like so. I, I don't know. Is there anything that you look back at that younger guy where you're like, you know what? I could use more of that. You know what I mean? Like where it was like, all right, that's a thing he had right. What did that John Daniels have right?
2: Man, well, I mean, s- some of it is. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't change uh, changes for the world, but like, I, I mean, I. I have I have a different level of balance in my life now, right? Um, so, so I have more experience, but I probably have less time. That, if I'm being like totally candid, that is dedicated to the job I, by design. Like I, I, you know, I'm fortunate. I have a great relationship with my wife, my kids. Like, you know, I have, other, I have some other interests, and, and like, you know, when you're you know, given the job at 28 years old, and my wife was awesome. We didn't have kids just yet. Yeah, like, she was super supportive, and I'm. Mean, I was there 24 seven. I mean, I, it was like, it was fun. It was like a, we were a bunch of like, you know, f- we were friends were in the office all the time and we were kind of like just grinding through it. And, um, you know, there's that energy and that, uh, you know, just kind of like 24 seven mentality is, um, I don't want to, I haven't lost the passion at all, but it, it's just the reality as as you have balance in your life, that it's, you, you have to take away a little bit. That's, it's probably good, right? I mean, you, in some, there's some respects that, like, like you just said, Mark, having that perspective, getting away from it, I think helps to some degree. But you know, that was the, that's the one thing that really stood out was just, you know, we were, you know, we were we got after it, you know, every, un, you know, unturning every single option, and you know, there's something unique about that time in your life.
0: Does and and do you just kind of like does the efficiency of the systems make it? Easier to n- just have that balance, I guess, at this point. I think, it, I think, yeah, I think it helps. Um, although I, I, I still think that's kind of like
2: a, um, you know, what you said earlier, right? It was like uh, process and systems and efficient. They're all real, but they're also kind of catchphrases and and cliched a little bit too. I mean, it still comes down to like making good decisions for good reasons, having like a philosophy, having an idea, having a feel. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any, even the absolute best, most uh, analytically driven organizations are not basing their decisions on, you know, kind of like put pouring everything into a model and just one number comes out and you run with it. There's still a, you know, there, there's an art to it too. And so, um, it, it helps. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like we said earlier, it helps not having to spend as much time pulling the information together. But then the flip side is like you learn a lot when you're pulling that information together, right? You see things like, you know, that you don't necessarily see when, when you're not aware of all the inputs, you know, going in. And so uh, there's a balance. I still like to like, you know, grind through box scores. And it's and, and some of the things. And I still like to like keep score at games because it, it helps me retain the information, remember what I saw. And, and that's, you know, I, I think you got to try to find a balance between, you know, efficient use of your time. And then the things that, you know, personally made you both drawn to the game and, and helped you advance in
0: it. Right. Sorry. I'm a, i am I was transcribing an Andrew Friedman interview earlier today. And so I'm hung up on processes and, you know, corporate speak. I apologize. <laughs> you know, I will say that Andrew, like, and, and I, you know, I know he, he's,
2: he can do that, but uh, you know, that Tampa, and, I mean, they have, they have great like culture from a standpoint of, like yeah. treating people, and that's what I think gets lost. And, and there are some organizations that don't, right? That are super analytically driven and system driven, and and, and don't treat people well. And and you know that's what I, I, I give him. I don't want to give him too much credit because you know, I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't want, you know, I don't want. He doesn't need it. Um, you know, that's why I think they've done a good job is like they've they found that balance um, and they've empowered people and and they treat people well.
0: There were uh, there were three uh, GMs hired to in for the 2006 season uh, who are still GMing now. It's yourself, Andrew Friedman, and Dayton Moore. And Dayton's ten years older than both of you, and he looks the best of the three. So I don't know what that says about what the job does to human beings, but it is what it is
2: we shared the spring training complex in, uh, in, in Arizona. And so I've gotten to know Dave real well over the years. And, uh, but he's like, I mean, you talk about treating people well and, and being consistent and philosophy. And, and, you know, it's funny. He took, he took heat early on and, and, uh, and obviously like came out on the other side, you know, all the better for it, but he's got, and he's got good hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: He's got a consistent look that helps. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it, and uh, thank you for tolerating us as we uh, walk through this stuff. It was very kind of you to do. Um, If uh, you're listening, you want to rate and review us, please do. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Scrum. Have a good day.